Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And interestingly enough, we dropped the Serge on this episode. I have the most lovely opportunity to spend some time one-on-one with Katrina Kibben, CEO and founder of Three Years Media. Welcome to the show, Katrina. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I've been looking forward to this. I know it took a few months of planning. I follow you. I'm on your newsletter. You've written some amazing articles, some of the things you've written of how you've touched people's lives. I'm just so thrilled to have you here. I'm going to dive right into my first question. Share with me, when you reflect on your career, talk about the moment you went recruiting. They need my help. (laughs) How did that happen? It's funny, whenever I would interview way back when I did not own my own company, I would always tell people, if you looked at my resume, you might be a little confused because I've always helped job seekers and recruiters connect, Mm -hmm. but I've done it in a million different ways. And, and the joke is if you've ever met someone with my career history, I'll give you a dollar and I have yet to pay out that dollar. All right. (laughs) So I started out in marketing and I worked my way up very quickly working in HR technology and being the head of marketing for an HR tech company where we served both candidates and recruiters at Monster.com. So we were building out, and I was also working at a startup called Visual CV, in both scenarios, really getting my marketing chops, understanding the audience, Mm -hmm. what they need, how they think. Worked my way up through a few other companies and I became a CMO. And I got to tell you, Shelly, I hated it. I hated it so much. Oh, why? Do you know what CMOs get to do? solve problems. Everyone comes to a CMO and goes, I have a problem. I need your help. No one comes to brainstorm. No one comes because they want to write something great. They don't come because they're having a real issue understanding the audience. No, they come to you because something is broken and they want it fixed and they need you to throw around your weight to make that happen. And that is not my style. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I left marketing to become a managing editor, which is a parallel move in a way because it was content creation. So I went to a blog all about recruiting and I tell my friends that I got my PhD in recruiting there because all I did was talk to the best recruiters in the world and learn how they did it and why. And I got to write about and edit them and talk to them and host webinars and really learn the dynamics of the candidate recruiter relationship. From there, things got a little more wonky because I got the itch. I wanted to do the work again. You're a CMO. Everyone comes to you with the problem. If you're a managing editor, everyone comes to you with stories. And that's awesome. But at some point, you want to try it out. I'm a scientist in a way. I have a very analytical mindset. I wanted to test the theories. If it works for Amazon, that doesn't mean it works for you, right? Right. There's something special. I think that's when I knew this was going to be my forever Because I knew that every company had something special and I recognized that they were having a really hard time saying. And so I I kept running into recruiting issues that very easily could have been solved with communication. And yet no one was throwing communication at the problem. So I was a technical copywriter. I Mm -hmm. went CMO, managing editor, technical copywriter, CEO. That's where the dollar bet comes in. There's none of us. So I worked for Fortune 100s, the brands I could name drop and people would be like, wow, logo salad all day. I worked for the best brands in the world writing their copy. Yeah. 
And I realized really quickly that the bigger that a company gets, the less interested they are in telling the truth. So I started my own company to do that. And I started Three Years Media to tell the truth about writing. And ultimately, I teach recruiters to write because hiring is hard no matter what. No matter who you work for, no matter what industry, hiring is hard because there are a million variables we do not control. But the one variable you can always control is how you ask, how you say it to someone. And that's the variable we give the least power to, but it has the most opportunity to change our lives. That's what I get to do every day. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about that teaching recruiters to write. My personal experience was I had worked for an organization where the CEO made it law that nothing goes to print that isn't honest and also appealing. Get out of your chair as a recruiter, sit in the chair of your ideal applicant. Where is the industry maybe drop the ball that recruiters need to be taught how to write. We say, make it honest, make it appealing. Yeah. And then we're like, and why aren't you hitting your numbers? And suddenly mm. a lot of us fall back to a copy and paste mindset. Okay. This worked for someone else. Quick oh, test. Yeah. And okay. we forget that we know the answers. I find myself saying this in every single training that there's a block between a recruiter's brain and their hands <laughs> because nine times out of 10, they know exactly what to say. To convert that person, to hit them in the heartstrings, and they forget that you can write that down. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Mind blown. It's true. It is absolutely true because if we get someone on the phone as recruiters, I can absolutely convey with a level of energy. And that to me is what makes the difference between a good recruiter and a great recruiter. I can say the same thing a hundred times with the same level of energy on the 100th time that I did on the first time, but writing it down. Oh, so are we asking too much of recruiters? Do you think? No, I okay. actually think if you want to be great. You have to know how to write. Remember, mm -hmm. I just said, it's the only variable we control. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Think about all the reasons. I want every single recruiter to just take one minute and think about how many reasons you've been given for a no. Mm -hmm. How many of those did you control? Very few, very few, right? Mm -hmm. It's usually a once in a lifetime that you get brought a problem that you can fix. Mm -hmm. but, but the ask, you control every single part. If you want to be great and you want to do it efficiently, you don't need all the tools in the world. You need to be a great writer. It sounds like three years media and the program that you have in terms of teaching people. What is the one talent or the one learning that you want them to take away from? Like, how do you get that block removed? Is there a way? Yep. We start every single presentation with two things. The first thing is I tell them my candidate experience. I tell them about the day that I lost my job three days before I bought a house. Wow. And I tell it in a way that I think brings you into that moment because maybe you haven't bought a house before, but you know what it's like to take massive risk in your life. Mm -hmm. But I remind them that while that story is majestic and very theatrical, it doesn't make me special. Mm -hmm. If someone opens up the internet and types in a job title and hits enter, that mm -hmm. is a confession. It's a confession that something is not right in their life and they want more. Mm -hmm. 
And it is our responsibility as human beings, not recruiters, not employees, not any of the labels that we get handed at the door of a company to meet people where they're at and to be kind. Mm -hmm. And I remind them that asking, telling the truth, providing clarity is kindness at one of the most vulnerable places in this person's entire life. The second thing I do for them is I remind them how smart and brilliant they are. I tell them the secret that they do know the answers because nine times out of 10 during that training, during the conversation, whether it's an, a webinar, a training, whatever it is, I tell them the answer. And so nine, you're going to hear this feedback a lot. What would you say? Write that down. And I'm going to keep reminding you that you're brilliant and you're good at what you do. And this is just going to make you better. I think when we remove that block of I'm not a writer and we remind them of that, why mm -hmm. they march forward with confidence is the thing they're la lacking, but it takes a two-part formula to really understand. Mm -hmm. And I think they really need to want to, yeah. I know um, for me, it's a simple law of attraction. You will get back the applicants that you ask for. And if you simply cut and paste, you will get the same thing back. It's an amazing thing that when you take the time to do, as you say, think about the human being and realize where they're at. That's, it's brilliant. It's the how, like getting started and breaking that old habit. Cause I've worked both corporate recruiting and staffing agency and in the corporate world, the pressure to just get the job posted is crushing. Hiring leaders, they're almost frantic that somehow seeing it posted then ticks it off their to-do list. I don't know. But the pressure is just, it's crushing. Do you have any advice for recruiters to how do they respond to their hiring leader that is pressuring them to just post whatever we had last time or just get it up there, just post the job? Do you have any so, words of wisdom? Yeah, the way that I teach, it takes 30 minutes to write a job posting. So this is not a mm -hmm. three-day activity. This is blocking 30 minutes on your calendar. Mm -hmm. And very often I can make the value proposition to a hiring manager very easy when I say, how much time did you spend reviewing resumes last time? That didn't work. Yeah. And often they get this really wide eye and they're like, oh my God, I spent a whole afternoon going through that. Right? Depending on your relationship, depending how you manage right. it. I also think there's a level of opportunity here that we're not talking about is when you're being challenged, that is a challenge to show expertise, not give answers. So if someone comes to me to challenge me on my strategy, to challenge me on my approach, I'm going to explain that when I create a well-crafted job posting with a well-researched job title that is clear, concise, and accurate, I get a smaller, more qualified pool. Mm -hmm. Then I can explain, for me, right, it's I've written a thousand job postings. I know this works. For you, maybe it's I took the three years media class about how to write job postings, and I have data to prove that this methodology works. I'm the expert. That's what I'm saying. No matter what you say, it needs to be a reflection to show mm -hmm. that you are the expert and they trust you to handle this process. I don't go to my accountant and tell them to hurry the hell up 
or skip steps. <laughs> I don't tell my lawyer not to file that doc because it's just going to take a long time and I just want to see it filed. No, I'm a professional. Let me do my job, period. Thank you. <laughs> I love that analogy because you're right. The reason I pay my accountant or lawyer is because they're an expert. So great reminder. I'm going to switch topics just a little bit here. I think the, the biggest topic right now is all around tech recruiting. Is there a way to make tech job ads sexy again? I yeah. think they were once. If you want to make a tech job ad sexy, you write it for them instead of about work. No one wants to read something about work. Business books are not the like fortune bestseller whatever's because mm. nobody wants to read about work. They want to read stories about a life. A great job posting is a preview of how your life could be. And tech people, if you're trying to persuade them, you need to give them a little bit of a fairy tale and help them dream. If you can bring the dream along, that's mm. how you make it sexy because it's sexy to them, not you. <laughs> that's, it's it's such a good point. It's such a yeah. valid point. And if, if the audience remembers nothing else from this episode, it is stop, get out of your own head. This isn't about you. It's about attracting someone who would find this job to be amazing. Again, some of the best advice I ever got was this is the perfect job for someone. Just because I would never sit and code or try to figure out how to put beautiful lines of code together that anyone can decipher. That's just not my jam. Like I couldn't do it all day, but for someone, it is their dream job. And yeah. so taking that approach when you're writing it, to say, this is your dream job. Talk a little bit more about this story piece, because there's some reality here. Say you're trying to recruit a coder for a company who'd worked in the electricity industry. Katrina, there is nothing sexy about that industry. People go to the light switch, they turn it on, they want it to work. Nobody cares about transformers or power lines. It's the most boring industry in the whole world. It is. It's the most boring. So how do we tell a story when we're communicating why this company, what is the story? I think that was our greatest challenge. See, but it's perceptively boring because it has <laughs> a massive impact. That's the part we're not talking about. I actually just did this for a water company. So that's okay. my here, right? Cool. Okay. People need electricity. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You're, you're hearing click of a light if you're listening, right? <laughs> yeah. That. That's what they do every day. You keep the lights on and people are willing to do boring things for massive impact. That's Connection. A Connection. Yes. Absolutely. Great Connection. tip. Then you're going to tell the truth. So maybe it's you keep the lights on for 189,000 people within a five mile radius. Here's mm -hmm. what you'll do every day to make that happen. And cool. you just the work in a way that the right person knows. Example. So when you're writing about tech, something that people often forget is to include autonomy. How autonomous are you? Mm -hmm. Are you by yourself? Are you with a team? You'll work by yourself every day to watch out for errors in the code. An introvert is, hell yes. <laughs> Big impact, little talking. Sweet. 
right? Whatever it is, you tell the truth because it will, it triggers a psychology for someone where they can say, yes, I want to. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know how. Why do you think it is? One of the things I really struggle with is how to find the right words to communicate what it's like to work for this particular organization. And we say culture, but that can mean so many things. Why is that so hard to write about? Do you think, especially if you're an in-house recruiter, they all sound the same, right? Like I could read 50 job ads. And when they're describing culture, everyone says collaborative. Everyone says be a team player. It's just nauseating. Why is it so hard to communicate company culture? I think broadly, a lot of us, you're too close, especially if you're in-house. This is why Three Years Media exists and is growing the way that it is because it is really hard to look around. Okay. And this is a life lesson and a work lesson. I think it's really hard to look around at your life and understand what's special. Mm. It's really hard to look at your work and understand what's special about it. I've talked to nurses, oncology doctors, people who work at the UN. Every single one has shared with me in some way, shape, or form that they do not understand what makes them special. As recruiters, we have this incredible opportunity to hold a mirror up and show people what makes it special if we ask the right questions. And so I truly would say that if you're thinking about writing culture and you're struggling with it, mm-hmm. I think you need to consider the questions you're asking. And so little plug for three years, I do have a list of intake questions that you can get off of our website. I'll make sure that Shelly has the link in any notes, but here's an example. I'll ask what makes this team different mm-hmm. from any other team you've worked with? So notice I'm not asking about the culture. You can't ask about culture and get the right answer. You need to ask differently. And then if they were to say to me, oh, the team's way more collaborative, I might say this. Can you give me an example of how you know that this team is collaborative versus another team? What did they do that showed you that they go the extra mile, Mm -hmm. not like your last team? And by creating that comparison point Mm -hmm. and then also creating context, human context, they're able to answer the question in a way that gives me real data and I can tell that story. And so it turns into, you'll be working with a team you can rely on to be focused on the same goals. Let me ask you this. You've worked with so many different industries. Even in our conversation here, you've named a few without naming names, but they all do different things in different industries. When you look around, if you were to do a scan of job postings, Who's doing the worst job, in your opinion? High volume, low retention. So you're filling a warehouse, you're hiring restaurant workers, even oil fields. They're putting people out and trying to fill those jobs. What I mean when I say high volume, low retention, meaning you fill more than 10 or 15 of those every month. And those people leave before you want them to, whether it's at 90 days, 180 days, but you know exactly when they leave and a significant percentage of those people drop off at that point. I think by far those people are doing the worst because one, it would have the highest impact if they did it, which always hurts my brain a little bit. (laughs) Two, they're not telling the truth. Nine times out of 10, the reason someone quits is because we didn't set the expectations correctly in the very first ask. They're not telling people why people quit. 
We know why people quit, but we're scared to say it. Mm-hmm. So they're lying. They're not providing enough clarity mm-hmm. and they're not providing real expectations about the job, the growth plan, and what happens next to allow someone to truly opt into changing their life. Yeah. I've always said that type of recruiting, the the high volume, same role. I need 300 people to do basically the same work, soul sucking. As a recruiter, to know that you're going to do all this work and those people will be on the job for 60, 90 days and quit. And then you're backfilling them again. It's symptomatic. I think it is a symptom of a much larger issue of Yes, just being candid about what the work is. Again, not assuming that it's work you'd want to do, but for someone, it's awesome. (laughs) It is an awesome job. Exactly. And right now, a lot of people, I know, especially in the US, I keep hearing this line about people don't want to work. And that's not real. Let me say that one more time. People want to work. They want to be valued for their work Mm -hmm. at a rate that is livable. And by livable, I can pay my rent and I do not have to wake up in the middle of the night to check my bank account to make sure that something didn't get withdrawn. I don't have to worry about the difference between zero and negative 200. Okay. And these are people that you need to tell the truth to period. We need to show more respect at every level. Those people deserve the exact same respect as your C-suite placements. Mm -hmm. And so do the recruiters who do the work. Absolutely. Do you know what I thought you were going to say though, Katrina? I thought you were going to say the staffing industry. I honestly did because it is probably the biggest opportunity to do a better job, to be more efficient, more effective. Just this morning, looking at a staffing industry company who is posting a job for themselves And every single thing that I know you're teaching don't do was listed in a single posting on LinkedIn. It was rockstar, must be a team player. I'm going to say something a little jerkish right now. And it's probably not going to come across very well, but I believe that the massive staffing firms, we all know who the massive staffing firms are. Yes. I truly believe that they do not do the right thing at the benefit of keeping themselves in business. And I think massive opportunity for medium-sized staffing companies to take over the world if they were to invest in the kinds of resources and teaching that we're doing. And I am not even saying that as a business ploy. I am saying that because I I know they know how to do better. I'll just Mm -hmm. say that. And I also know that they will lean into speed and not investing in the education of their people at the advantage of their bottom line, their executive bonuses, and keeping themselves in place. Because if a great staffing firm figures out the manufacturing pipeline problem because they wrote a better job posting, they created a better mm-hmm. aug- augmented experience, they work themselves out of a job and mm-hmm. they won't do it. They won't risk it because they hurt during the pandemic really hard. And now they aren't investing in their people. They're hiring more junior talent because they do not believe they think it's a business risk to be better. And I think that's screwed up. And it's honestly a huge reason why I started. Very good reminder. You're I, I absolutely see what you're saying. I absolutely do. And you're right. I think it's not hard to stand out and it's very short sighted to think that 
the relationships that you build with people in the staffing industry, people never forget you as a recruiter, someone who played a role in helping them find something just a little bit better than what they were doing before. And your role in doing that, that's why from the first three weeks on the job, it was like, I found my life's work. And that was the feeling that I had was I played a small role. They still have to get the job. You don't get anybody a job, but you're absolutely right. It's very short-sighted to think turnover is really what keeps you in business and that it keeps them coming back. Yeah. I mean, wow. People ask me, oh, Katrina, why don't you uh, really push your writing services? You should be doing the writing. You can charge so much more for that, blah, blah, blah. And I tell them, no, I built a company because I believe people should be better. I sell Mm -hmm. training first because I'd rather you go into the world equipped than have five things that I did in your pocket. You are Mm -hmm. no better if I do the work for you. If I can teach you, if I can give you confidence, if I can teach your team to approach a hiring manager with confidence and to build trust, that's the life. That's when we're doing the right thing. And I'll never pick that personally as a business person. I Mm -hmm. hope that no one listening to this would choose profit over making people better. That is a wonderful way to look at things. Absolutely. Creating dependency. It is... um almost preying on people, I think. So I love what you're doing. I, as I said, on the top of the show, I'm just such a big fan. So in closing, I've got one last question for you. If you could put a message in a bottle for a recruiter and imagine we can turn the clock forward here, what would you say? I'm so torn because I have what I would call a letter answer. And you understand that reference. I write a letter every week and it's just about life. And so I have a letter answer. And then I have a business answer. Which one do you want? I want to hear the life one, please. I thought you might. (laughs) I think I would put a note in that bottle that says, you help people feel more optimistic about their future. I feel a little teared up. I'm, I'm thinking about this. And so yesterday I watched this movie and I cannot remember the name, but it was about a person who was ending their life through assisted suicide. They had a terminal disease and Mm -hmm. kind of the next three steps were losing control of their bowels, not being able to eat, not being able to talk. Mm. And so they decided to take this and we don't need to get into the logistics or the belief behind that. But the grandmother is with the grandson and he says to her, tell me about life. Tell me the things that I'm supposed to know. She says, I have nothing to tell you. And he goes, aren't you supposed to be wise? And she says, There's nothing I can tell you that you don't have to learn. Mm. And so I think there's some part of me that's carrying a little bit of that and knowing that recruiting fundamentally isn't this part won't change. I could tell you all about postings. I could tell you, but hell, we might have robots tippy type in their way out. I don't know. (laughs) But right now I can tell you that if recruiting still exists Mm -hmm. 30 years from today, we will still be the masters of optimism for people's future. I know that truth. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. I do too. I do too. And being a part, even the small part in helping someone make that move. Awesome. That's why I'll keep, I've been at it now 30 years. No, not quite 30 years. That's a little bit of an exaggeration since 1994. Let's go with that. Tell our listeners how they can find you. And if they want to talk to you more, how do they connect with you? 
Absolutely. So I'm the only Katrina Kibben in the world. So if you spell my name, you will find me. Uh, the closest thing you will find is a Navy priest and you'll know you're in a very wrong place. You guys can't see me right now, but I don't look like a Navy priest. So Google me, but you can also go to threeearsmedia.com, all spelled out three E's in three ears or katrinakibben.com, which is where I published that letter I just referenced and a blog every week with recruiting advice and writing advice. Absolutely. So I encourage all of our listeners to sign up for your newsletter or your letter, the letter that you write, because it is, I think what's made me such a big fan is I truly feel like I know you, even though I've never met you, like you just open up your heart. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a guest on the show today. And I can't wait to talk to you again and maybe even meet you in real life someday. Absolutely. It's happening. It's happening. (laughs) It'll be wonderful. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Katrina. We'll talk again. Thank you. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.